Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Go to tacticalpermaculture.com for more info. You gotta train for me Because I'm training for you We gotta love, love And revolution to do You better train for Welcome to Tactical Permaculture, episode number one. This is Introduction to Permaculture Design. It was originally recorded in 2017. Who here has heard the word permaculture before? Okay, it's about yeah, a little over half, it looks like. So, does anyone want to talk about what comes to mind when they hear that word or say that word? Anyone? It is that, exactly. Other definitions, keywords, thoughts, feelings, haikus. <laughs> yeah. So, it's actually a contraction. It's kind of like a clever marketing, like kind of like Instagram, like instant or whatever that would be. It's permanent culture, permanent agriculture. Those are two different interchangeable sort of ways of looking at it. Uh, that the founder came up with back in the mid-70s, early to mid-70s in Australia. Uh, talk a little bit about the origins. So there was a beautiful man whose name was Bill Mollison. He passed away not too long ago, and so we'll have a moment of silence to thank him for putting all this body of, this body of work together. May he rest in peace, but not for too long, because we need him to come back and, yeah, in the next life. So, there are many things to say about Bill Mollison. Uh, he was definitely a, had a coarse vibration, a lot of people would say. Uh, he was a, a prickly pear. He liked to push people's buttons and get under their skin and really uh, agitate people's assumptions about everything, about the way we grow food, the way we relate to the land, the way we use resources and build physical structures and economic systems, political systems, he was very critical. And he earned that, I'd say he earned the right to be very critical because he worked, uh, he was a logger, so he spent a lot of time destroying the forest and got to be intimately aware of how destructive that, that practice was. And he worked as a naturalist, he was a professor, he has, uh, he had an amazing, I mean, that's just tip of the iceberg. His level of, um, meticulous study of the natural world is really unmatched, I think, by uh, almost anyone else. So he definitely has put in the hours to, to have these strong opinions. And um, the, without going too much into his personal life story, the, the real take home about his life's work that led to the development of this teaching program called Permaculture Design, um, it was really his understanding that the simplest, most glaring, most disastrous 
sort of uh, inescapable fact of what's wrong with just the food system, the agricultural food system, right? It's it's. I'm gonna I'm gonna help us. I'm gonna guide us to that realization, the same realization that it, it you know that he came to, that he has popularized uh, through his works, and um, it's nice to take this journey in the form of a meditation. So if you close your eyes and just drop into your body a bit and take some deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth, taking your time, feeling the breath go deep into the, the belly. You can even put your hand on, on your belly to feel the belly expand as the, the deeper breaths get as, as far in as they can. And just anchor yourself into your observation into the smells, the sounds of the environment that we're surrounded by and even internal sensations, intuitions, visions. There's so many different bits of information that we could pay attention to helps to drop into this meditative state to be able to start to explore the inner and outer environments. And this is a one of the key instruments in the permaculture design system is to enter a meditative state to observe and um, we'll talk more about that later but what I want to set up in your imagination, in your mind's eye, is um, a juxtaposition of, of imagery. On, on one side, you can pick the side, doesn't matter which side, but in one side of your cinematic display, your theater of imagination, conjure the images of modern industrial agriculture, factory farm, CAFO operations, mass fields of just one single crop being grown for one cycle of production and replanting on an annual basis. You have this very highly programmed, systematized, mechanized, chemicalized, human-engineered system that is our modern so-called conventional, i.e. not traditional and not organic, the conventional way of farming in the modern world based on chemical fertilizers, chemical pesticides, herbicides, and machine and animal labor mostly, and also slave labor. And that's a really desolate landscape, a degrading landscape that's constantly being depleted and is ultimately turn into a sterile, functionally sterile desert. That is the non-regenerative, unsustainable, and very recent, very patriarchal pattern of forcing the will of mechanized production onto a landscape with a certain set of intentions that We'll, we'll, we'll ponder the intentions later, but for now it's just really to sink into that imagery of this mechanized 
control where everything originally on the landscape is displaced there's no competition allowed there can be no other forms of life in this entire agricultural landscape that isn't allowed so there's fences up there's poisons there's traps there's just the thoughtless, careless destruction of all life and habitat by trucks and airplanes and machines and even the sound pollution, let's say, of all the different mach machines at work, creating this hellish environment. That's where our food comes from. And if you look at the esoteric side of that or the, the so-called spiritual side of that, there's also the implications of what those vibrations of pain and suffering, how those affect the atomic structures, the quantum building blocks of the food that we consume. So I invite you to breathe that out. That's a really kind of polluted, gnarly, funky vibe to, to hold in your mind's eye and just sort of exhale that out, exhale that toxic experience out. And now turn to the opposite side in your mind's eye and we're going to be like Bob Ross and we're going to paint a natural landscape where we're going to discover a few things together. So some happy trees. I'm so glad this isn't skipping a generation. You, you're getting, it means so much to me, I have no idea. I want us to live in ecological landscapes that Bob Ross himself, bless his dear heart, would have rendered for us as the landscape design architect. So, if we look at a natural ecosystem on the land, let's say, where there's a bit of grass, some open prairie type land, some ponds and lakes and streams and rivers and just to zoom out as far as you have to in your mind's eye to be able to get a really good picture of mountains and valleys and river deltas and all of these different unique overlapping systems within systems all functioning without any human intervention or perhaps with indigenous traditional human intervention that's almost invisible you wouldn't even know that it's being tended or gardened because it looks so wild and so natural and so unordered so unprogrammed and so wild and and free and resilient so if we kind of zoom in now from having taken in that larger expanse of a, a snapshot of nature functioning on its own, we can observe a number of very important functional system elements that we can start to apply to the damaged landscapes that we're inheriting in the modern world of post-industrial chemical agriculture, we can actually start taking that Bob Russ 
Bob Ross brush and and paint some of those systems back onto and graft and borrow from the functioning natural systems borrow the the prince the engineering principles uh more than and you know some of the seeds some of the wild crafted herbs and whatnot but but we want to leave wild nature as and and indigenous maintain wild natural lands uh as intact as possible but we can just understand it spend time studying it and we can actually begin to repair what was on the other side so does anyone want to describe what some of the things that come into the mind's eye when you look at when you zoom into the point where a grassland or a prairie begins to transition into a woodland or a forest what what's what does that look like in your mind's eye the magic word that was spoken and thank you for all those brush strokes the magic word that was spoken that's a one of the most um, important keywords in the permaculture design system is that word edge and in this context it's used to draw attention to that point of transition between two different types of ecosystems sometimes you'll hear this uh, called biomes or ecotones there's different ecology or ecological scientific terms and that, that are used won't go, get too much into detail on those but the more broad concept is that as a rule as a a constant in nature you're pretty much always guaranteed to see a higher density of life forms mostly com cooperating together to create conditions conducive to more life so life's mission statement is exemplified in these edge zones where you see a maximum density of beneficial interrelationships where some species that require shade are being shaded by species that are have broader leaves let's say so there's also species that require certain elements to be in the soil that they can't get by any other means so they have to cuddle up to species that would provide that and also all of the different dynamics within the soil and the dynamics of pest and predator and prey consumers decomposers and producers so many different interacting relationships and more of those relationships are happening where that grassland meets the forest and you have a sort of diagonal tapering gradient effect going from the ground up to the trees and so now I'm going to zoom in even closer and, and say there's an opportunity or eco niches that cluster at these edge zones for example vines can grow up there's still sunlight hitting that outer edge of the forest but once you get into that forest it's mostly shaded out so there's very little growing on the forest floor because the taller upper canopy of the trees is pretty much consuming all the sunlight and 
you'll occasionally see little glades openings in forest systems where you'll see light coming in and life starting over the a new little 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 system of edges is, is, is coming together so you know next time you're out in, in the wilderness you see what looks like to be a cluster of life standing out in the landscape it could be a low point in a valley a low point in a canyon where you see wow it's totally green there's all lush where there's this trickle of water that is sustained you know year round there's lots of that around southern california and you can see that oh well there's an opportunity for multiple like infinite potential diverse interactions among species that are meeting at these edges so that's the polar opposite of what we have become accustomed to in this industrial agricultural model and you know if we if we put our childlike inquisitive curious minds to it we might actually shed the blind assumptions and this sort of zombie-like acceptance of well anything technological is better anything human engineered is superior whatever the the man says is the way it's got to be you know if we just in this state of meditation find it easier to just question gently question what's wrong with this picture what's wrong with how the commercialized agricultural industries have they sort of completely lost the ability to understand how biological production happens on earth so here's a, a, a simpler way to kind of make a joke out of it so does a, does a forest need people to come out and fertilize it no right somehow it fertilizes itself does it need people to come out and water it with irrigation or does it somehow manage and maintain moisture levels sufficient to stay hydrated and grow tons of life I mean very dense high productive life no 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 fertilizer no irrigation does it need people to come out and plant it to constantly manage it, to pull weeds and to make sure that everything grows by standing over it and fighting off all the birds and all the critters to keep them from eating the seeds and from ruining your garden or attacking your basil or whatever, you know? No, it just magically, it, the essence of the forest building nature of our planet that foresting nature of our planet figured out how to intelligently, dare I say consciously, pull from these abundant resources, sunlight, moisture, the minerals in the soil, the decaying organic material in the soil, and to create a symphony, an orchestra of potentially infinite stacked layers of, of species all ultimately creating a, 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 a balance. Well, an analogy is used riding a bike. It's, a, it's resilient, it's constantly responding to weather changes and droughts and 
floods and all these different changing parameters but it, on the whole it's very resilient and of course if we were to measure what's called biomass measure the weight of the biomass of that wild forest ecosystem and compare it to a cornfield which is going to win which is going to be heavier in production it's the natural forest ecosystem and part of the reason for that there's a few things I'll break it down you know but part of the reason for that one or one I'll just list a few a few points of why why how is that possible why is that well the forest is stacking layers vertically it's not just one single tree crop it's not it's not an orchard it's not an orchard of just one single type of tree it's not a it's not a field of one bean or grain or seed it's not a, a patch of a certain type of lettuce that is only one species in an entire massive ecosystem which has the potential to capture how much sunlight <laughs> i mean so vertic the vertical trellising the way that nature makes use of the aspect of the way the sun comes down and hits and hits the for and hits the ground it, it it consumes life will eat up and consume as much of that sunlight as it possibly can and it will grow on top of and and intertwine and entangle and build this stairway to heaven you know together in this beautiful orchestra and symphony of, of cooperation in order to maximize the potential for life so the vertical aspect is important the other another aspect is that it's not just producing one vegetable or fruit or seed etc product one time in a year to then be tilled and be stagnant there's so many different interlocking layers that are producing all of those things at staggered in different times throughout the year so you have multiple yields this is another keyword in permaculture is the goal one of the goals is to always obtain a yield so the yield the weight of one annual production of let's say corn from a monoculture monoculture meaning one plant on the landscape being planted it's very little it has very little weight because it's only happening once a year it's only one story high <laughs> and it's only one plant which makes it susceptible to pests makes it an easy target and pests can invade with no obstruction from other plants that provide shelter other beneficial natural predators that would be the the natural predators of the pests so that they will be kept in balance so when you strip away all of those layers of natural wisdom in the forest ecosystem you have this prison camp for life that is very unsustainable it's not resilient it does not produce high yields it only it only really is successful at one thing and I'll I'll ask for your help to to figure out what that thing is so if a a forest production system is producing 
all of this abundant diversity for who, what, everybody, all life who joins in the party, then the potluck of doing, playing their part, doing their role, doing the work they need to do, you know, worms are, are, are turning the soil over in a very elegant, very energy efficient manner. Humans can be scattering seeds when they eat something and then they do their thing, you know, a little further down, always extending the forest. Birds are dropping phosphorus in key locations where they post up and so on and so on. Everyone is has a duty, plays a role and gets plenty in, 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 in most cases. Uh, and if there is a, a, you know, shifts in the climate, shifts in the weather, shifts in the level of moisture, it's adaptable because there's so much, so much flexibility in that system. So now if you, <laughs> so nature's intention is to create free food for everything. Everyone who pulls their weight gets to be fed. In the commercialized industrial food system that we were exploring earlier, what's the intention of that system? Right. To be able to limit access and, and stack up the Benjamins. To be able to have private, proprietary ownership and to deprive human beings of the free access to food, to deprive all life from nature's ever productive abundance that's free or comes at a, at a price that's affordable in an average four day, four hour a day maximum typical gather hunter way of, of living in the landscape or a more vegan friendly if you will the the horticultural societies that are growing food they're they're not toiling to do it they're working with the natural systems and a lot of those cultures you can't even tell it doesn't look like what we think of as a farm it's not a grid it's more of a jungle and we're just adding to the natural system and we're nudging it along and we're we're choosing the species in our gardens that favor us but don't disrupt or fundamentally undermine the wisdom of how these systems work how they have been optimized for three and a half at least billion years of life figuring out how to make the best use of the minerals the sun the water etc so what permaculture design offers us in bringing it back to the founder Bill Mollison and his assistant David Holmgren they put forth a thesis in the 1970s after doing rigorous research and study this simple aha moment of revelation that in a word what we need to be doing if we want to reverse engineer the abundance of that wild ecosystem of course we need to change our politics and our economics so that the will to have equitable food supply and food security is more powerful than the dominator patriarchal capitalist pigs. Well, I take that back. That, that would be an insult to pigs, of course. Um, so you, you have to shift the social structures and, and, and the thinking around this stuff, of course, and that's, you know, a lot of people are working on those kind of movements. But there's a scientific 
mechanical, technical subtlety that a lot of people trying to change the world have overlooked, which is this sort of secret. Well, it's not, it's a, it's, when we look at it and, and, and as, as a revelation, then we see, wow, this, how did they keep this secret from us? It's such a no-brainer. So the word, the secret magic word is perennial. Perennial. Does anyone know what that word means? Compared to what, you know, if you go to the garden center, <laughs> you've got annuals and perennials sections, right? So does that narrow it down? Does anyone want to, we'll, 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 we'll arrive at, at it together. So, what does annual what does annual mean, just as a word? Okay. So, exactly. So, perennial. Even if you don't never heard the word before, what could that possibly be? Exactly. It produces more than one yield, whether within. Yeah. Typically, it's used to describe plants that are going to plant them once, and they're going to stay alive and just keep cranking and keep cranking and keep cranking for decades, if not hundreds, if not thousands of years, depending on the species. So that's the sweet spot. That's what I want to really set up as the introduction to what we're, what permaculture is, is really the foundation of it, the, the core of it, from which so many more layers of revelation have, have um, grown out of. But this was the key it's it's ridiculous to think of it as a discovery because you can see it everywhere. I mean, we're surrounded by perennials. We just have been fooled and been duped to not put two and two together and connect the dots and say, hey, if we want free food for everybody forever, we don't need giant properties to grow giant fields to feed ourselves. And, and this was sort of the, more of a a leftist, red, communist kind of um, hammer and sickle, right? We don't need to control nature with tools and machines to that extent and so that the proletarian revolution can happen. And I mean, I'm not to get too political, but, but the, the reason I bring that up is that taking a step back from mechanized agricultural thinking, we can actually say, you know what? With, with this sort of ecological origami that a forest does, we can fold the entire forest ecosystem into a backyard. And now, would be a good time to open your eyes and see, you know, we have just the beginning of, um, this is the sort of scaffolding for a food forest that we're gonna be building here, where we have all the different elements. This is a, a worm compost, the beginnings of it will have a more ornate, more down-to-earth clay pot that will kind of drain the water through, so we can uh, so we can harvest the the fertility from it. This has been going for quite a while already, so it's already pretty much ready to use. So we're going to start putting our food scraps into the system. Here's, they don't like the light, so I'm not gonna bother it too much, but these are red red wiggler worms. They're often used as fish bait, so you can get them, you can rescue them in a very Buddhist sense from the, from the fishing store. 
uh, but they, yeah, they do the work of breaking down all of our food scraps from the kitchen. They do it in a very fast and efficient manner, and they produce a, a compost product that's the most nutrient dense of all, almost all compost products. And you don't have to, you know, like a lot of people have to make compost in the world just by turning that pile for days and days and days by hand. It's a good workout, but uh, they'll do that work for you while you sleep. So again leveraging the intelligence of nature so we're just going to start that off but so I guess um, I want to kind of map Anchorus here and I'll I'll, I'll kind of um, speak through what we've got going on here and how and, and, and be able to merge those systems right so let's say this is this is LA this is, the, this is the rest of LA that we haven't got to yet, and this is the, the part of it that we have been given permission <laughs> by the people who overthrew the government, you know, the system. We want to live in an abundant, wild, natural ecosystem that produces free food for everybody all the time so that we can spend more time swinging in hammocks and <clears throat> writing music and singing songs and dancing and enjoying the stars and building beautiful cultures and living beautifully. So now that we have that power <laughs> we're reclaiming the land and we're starting this is what I do for a living for my day job I'm actually doing lawn makeovers front and backyard lawn makeovers almost every day of the week um, it's it's a, it's a struggle to get people to want to grow mostly food but at least they're planting native plants and they're getting more drought tolerant plants but the first step to this makeover of reclaiming the power of the forest is to block out the weeds it's not too bad right here but you'll see over there I mean most of Bermuda grass is like this it's almost like ecological barbed wire but it's alive I mean to, to, to I spent most of most of my work comes from removing this stuff and uh, I know it has its place perfectly nestled into a natural system somewhere but I don't know I'm, I don't know I've never found it not to be you know they say rampageous but in order to actually accelerate the forest building process we have to block out these unsustainable unnatural um it's a monoculture i mean a grass lawn is a monoculture like any other it's it, it could be a cornfield it's actually uh <laughs> yeah it's actually it's a lot of grasses that we've gone overboard with um but you can have a lawn with multiple species of you know clover and all kinds of different beneficial diverse low growing vegetation that you can walk on and you can play games on and you know and it'll grow back even strawberries so this this could that could all be strawberries you know <laughs> yeah and we got some over there actually but uh um so from the ground up we're we're actually what this mulch is doing is actually mimicking the natural leaf litter and dead limbs dropping from a forest so you know if if we had the, the right size chipper, we, we would be actually repurposing these branches that, we, that, that uh, uh, he pruned back recently. Um, we would be mulching that up and actually, this is like scab material. There's nowhere in nature, unless it is a desert naturally, where you're going to see bare soil. It's always got stuff growing wherever there's any potential for it. So we're helping it along. We're borrowing some of the, the, the forest uh, vegetation so we can mimic this effect and actually do what the forest does, which is retain moisture un deep in this. There's actually, Bill Mollison said once that uh, 
every three inches of forest floor re retains one inch of water. So basically it's suspended in this sponge. This is such spongy material. I mean, okay, here, perfect. So you see the sun has dried out from whenever, if it was the rain or if this was overflowing, let's just say there was a rain event and it looks like it's all dried out, but look, look at all of that moisture that's staying. I mean, it's ridiculous. So there's no, that's why that's how a forest doesn't, this, you know, you could uh, have one rain get into a little pocket of this kind of mulch and months later it can grow seeds out of it because it has this storage tank of water just suspended in these fine carbonaceous materials that have dropped from above. So what do they do in agricultural farms? When they take the crop, they take, they take the, the, the vegetable or the, the whatever the, the product is that they want to sell and then they take everything out. They don't return. There's a law of returns. You have to return the stalks of the plants back. You have to compost it in place. You have to let this scab, I mean, I mean, they're making a gash. They're making an open wound and they're taking away all the scabbing material. So that's why the conventional farming system, it can only go for so long before they've completely destroyed the capacity of that soil to give life. It goes from being soil, which is moist and full of life to dirt, which is dead. And, uh, but we can bring it back. We're rehabilitating the system now. And, um, something to a simple kind of schematic that you can take away, you know. This was my favorite, you know, my, my see, learning about it this way, this is what got it for me. Cause I actually, I took workshops where we did sheet mulching and I learned about, you know, they call it natural uh, accelerated succession. So for, succession is just the cycle of, of a forest doing its thing, you know, um, but we can, apply our intelligence to speed up that process. We can, you know, nature will make compost, but it takes a lot longer just sitting in place, you know, getting moist and rotting and breaking down. We can speed up the process by concentrating the efforts of nature without harming them. Like we're making environments for life that are at least as good, if not better than the wild state that they're in. Like I like to design habitat for life where it doesn't, it thinks it's just in Shangri-La paradise. It has. It's not in a cage, it's not feeling limited, and um, I feel like it's making a, 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 a put, a, put a, a zoo with a farm, you know what I mean? But give plenty of space to everything, and you, you, know, you have a, a more ethical way of, of tending the wild. But the, the schematic piece that's a good imprint to take, to take home is, uh, I mean, there's so many different, I'm just kind of, freestyling right now and flowing with it and the keywords are coming up but there's of the keywords that I mentioned maybe five to ten so far there's hundreds if not thousands in a book this thick they call it the big black book it's permaculture a designer's manual and it's the, 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 the it's the required reading the main textbook for the permaculture design course um, which is a 72-hour course I should mention that it's, it's really a the uh, well, I'll back up just a little bit. So when David Holmgren and Bill Mollison really dialed in this thesis about perennial agriculture, where we should be thinking about growing plants that are producing frequently, more than once, one year at a time, where we can let nature just drop and drop and drop and just build up. So every year 
of, of a forest soil ecosystem, the, year, the, the, the soil gets better on its own. So what, we shouldn't have to be putting in mining minerals and pulling oil out of the ground and creating fossil fuel petrochemical based fertilizers when if we just grew tree crops or even had alleys or rows of let's say fruit or nut trees staggered in between our annual crops which we're still going to grow annuals there's nothing wrong with them but intermingling it's polyculture is another keyword so how do we go from monoculture to polyculture understanding perennials and bringing it all together in a designer system the easiest way so there's so much science and technical minutiae about it but the easiest way to say from this point on that you can see somebody at a bus stop and and walk them through how we can save the world together in the, in the park right behind you or whatever it is it's easy things to point out so there's seven layers vertical layers in a natural forest ecosystem it, it breaks down a little bit there's more granularity if you add you know aquatic systems and if you um factor in you know there's there's more it, it's kind of like the chakras you know there's seven major chakras and then there's a bunch of you know 72,000 nadis and there's you know it's mapped in all different cultures can it gets pretty ridiculous but uh <laughs> not in a bad way but um we stick to the seven layers for the purpose of this conversation and say what happens can anyone think of a few types of food that grows underground potatoes yeah radishes potatoes carrots right you got it so underground yeah <laughs> okay so that's you can take any forest ecosystem and you can you know discover that there are there are root systems growing underground and if we can make it productive you know productive to us edible to us useful to you know to feed animals or to feed ourselves we would consider that a root crop from the root layer of the system so that's the the, the very bottom below below the surface of the ground and then what are some plants that grow horizontally across the flat surface of the ground just well, you're a little bit ahead of you're a little bit you're you're ahead of you're getting a little ahead of us, but we'll get there. Um, but you're also you're also right. But let's think of things that are more kind of clustering. Like there you go, strawberries. You're, you 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 hit it the nail on the head with the strawberries. And basically, there are you would call them creepers or prostrate plants. They're they're species that are going to grow low-lying and just cover kind of carpeting this, the surface so this, you know this is uh like creeping time is a, is, is a great example so if you were designing a garden you wanted to fill up space or mint is a good example things that will just grow across the, so that's the second it's uh the herbaceous layer really it's it's non-woody plants that grow out sideways and they don't they don't grow vines and they don't um, they don't grow woody lying areas then you have the shrub layer which is that would actually be more like blueberries they grow kind of a woody stem but they're not giant trees they're just more like bushes so there's all kinds of but most of, a lot of the berries grow like that so you've got that layer the layer of shrubs and um, up from that you've got uh, the lower canopy which is you know, let's say 
up there, you can't see it from where you're at, but those giant palm trees, they're the top, they're the, the tallest ones in this whole system. So these would be the lower, the, the lower canopy trees, which these could all be, or we, we're gonna add more in here, but we'll have lower, lower canopy fruit trees, citrus, nuts, right? Mulberries, whatever, avocados, all those kind of trees. Like some of those will in certain systems go very high up, but uh, that's where you really get to put on your designer's hat is to study and know what food crops that we like to eat that are beneficial to the ecosystem that are appropriate for the climate require minimal effort to sustain how can we fill in all these vertical niches and one i left out if i'm uh, is, is the vining layer so so you mentioned the vining layer which is those species that will tend to spiral and grow up things they'll grow up trees <laughs> or cucurbits uh, those are the pumpkins squashes um, cucumbers, zucchinis, all those in that family. So now if, if you can just, you can close your eyes again or leave them open either way is fine. But now when you're at the grocery store, from now on, you can actually ask yourself, what, which of those seven layers does this food crop occupy? You know, and you can already start design, designing in your head or if you want i mean there's certain there's a lot of stuff from the store that you can just plant right it's cheaper to buy buy your plant stock from the grocery store than it is to buy from a nursery green onions potatoes carrots even you know there's all if you're still a, a living root ball on it and they're starting to sell herbs with living roots on them so you can just cut the tops off plant them they'll do better if you cut the greens off already and then plant them and then you can already start you know going going with that so it's a very, of all the complexity that this could go into, I mean, understanding the very unique, complex relationships, invisible, microscopic relationships in the soil that make all this possible, that's a whole, another chapter, that's a whole study. There's people who devote their entire lives and they're only, really in the history of science, they're only just beginning to scratch the surface of what's going on in the soil. The density of microbial life in one drop of water, it's astounding. And you should look it up online, just see pictures of it. That's where it all begins. So you can zoom in to any of these elements of, of a forest system and, and just make a life study out of it. But what's so elegant about the permaculture system, and again, I'm only just trying to get you excited about the idea that we can heal the planet. We can take a snapshot of any forest system and say, hey, you know what? If we could have a magic wand, snap our fingers and fill up all of these vertical spaces with food crops that we enjoy, how much we, we would be feeding the neighborhood out of this backyard just with what's here. If, every, if everything that you see here that is green and alive was edible, an edible food crop, we would stop working on the treadmill, the hamster wheel. We would be spending our time together creating beautiful, elaborate meals and having potlucks and, and sharing. And if if one person's house had better solar aspect, you know, than another, then one, you get more shady area, you grow mushrooms. If you got more sun, grow citrus. It's an interconnected web of social interactions. And that's a whole other like sub science within permaculture, social permaculture, where we look at how how we can design beneficial guilds, another keyword, guilds meaning conscious groupings of mutually beneficial synergistic relationships between species or people and species or, you know, 
it's really infinitely scalable, scalable these different modules of, of thinking and, and, and methodology. So I think that is a good place to come to a stop. Let me just take a breath and see if there's anything else that uh, would be good to close with on this little wrap. Um, just back to the word, the word itself, permanent culture, permanent agriculture, kind of used interchangeably. The idea is that nature has been foresting, the earth has been foresting so much longer than we've been here. And if we step back and get out of the way, it will consume everything we've built with forests. So we can get on our surfboard and surf the wave of rewilding that's just always happening all the time. Or we can waste all of our energy and kill ourselves with fossil fuel, poison the planet, just so we can have... I mean, you hear, why live in a nice area if all you hear is the buzzing of machines hacking at all the life around you and blowing the leaves and just poisoning everything? That's not a high quality of life. You know, if you let the wave come and just consume you and it's like a tidal wave of wild nature coming at us all the times and all the time and all we got to do is like put a bunch of seeds in our pocket and run and just like throw them in and then it will be completely enveloped by it and we'll be back in the garden of eden it's just it's just like pounding on our door you know and we're putting in all this fossil fuel effort all these machines to fight it back so that people can make that proprietary closed source and that's where you get into gen genetic modification patenting life all those things it's like how can you take this beautiful monstrosity of life on earth and control it and limit access to it? It takes a lot of energy and you know, we're getting close to the point where it's not gonna be as easy to tap that those energy reserves. It's gonna get more difficult and we're gonna see more resistance hopefully and rebellion as people um, wake up. So. That is a non-comprehensive introduction to permaculture, and now I'm open for questions. Thank you for your kind attention.